Another Road I'm Sure We're Lost, Chapter 3. Author's Notes. I'd like to say I'd rewrite these to flesh them out a bit more, but yeah, probably not going to happen. Still on the boring setup bit. Two more exams to go. And now on with the story. James is, to put it mildly, flabbergasted. His sister, who he has never actually spoken to, as she had been away at boarding school during his youth and did not return home on the death of their parents, but rather met a man, married him, and moved to a country almost on the opposite side of the world, had written him into her will. He can only assume it was insanity that made her do it. He knew of her existence. She knew of his. That was about the extent of their knowledge of one another and the entirety of their relationship. And yet, Clause 4b clearly states, Custodianship will fall secondly to my brother, James Bond, and any partner of his thereof. The first condition being unable to be met, as her dear friend Antoinette had perished in the same car crash. The young Miss Bond does not uncurl from the corner of the lounge suite she has crammed herself into. Her face is white and blotchy red. Her eyes, now that he can see them, are the same blizzard he has graced with. She never once releases the dog, who obediently sits in front of her and watches them. There is considerable financial accommodation for Alice's care to go to you, as well as a trust fund for incidentals for Alice herself. I am the executor of the trust fund until Alice's 21st birthday, Mr. Brunn explains. All education requirements have been accounted for. She's been enrolled in the nearby David Gain College. They are aware of her circumstances, the explanation continues. What do you want in all of this? James interrupts, directing his voice towards the form hunched into the couch. She twitches. Shoulders rise to meet her ears. The dog leans its weight against her legs and watches her. There is silence. I want my computer, she says, barely a whisper. Mr. Brunn turns to address her. I'll bring it with your things. He turns back to James. He only listens to half an ear as the solicitor continues. I'm sorry, is the first thing she blurts out when Mr. Brunn departs with the promise to return shortly with her meagre belongings. James is almost startled. It's hardly your fault, James replies. And it's true, her mother was the insane one. Please allow me to show you to your room. She follows shuffling behind him with her hands still embedded within the giant beast's coat. He opens the door to the spare room, the neatly made queen bed, side tables, and an old mahogany wardrobe barely seemed to make a dent in the vastness of the room. A rug of Arapawa merino fleece sits in one, to one side of the bed. Find a desk you like and have it delivered, and a rug to match, he says. He stops, brain finally ticking over now that she is in the room and her eyes are flicking over every surface in the bare, very bare walls. She's a teenager. A teenage girl. He's overheard heard enough office talk to know that teenage girls obsess and hang things like boy band posters or whatever f- cute famous person they're currently crushing on. If you, uh, he begins. She doesn't turn to face him but he knows he has her attention. If you would like to hang some posters, please use poster tech. Thank you, she replies, and he backpedals from the room. Never let it be known that James Bond flees from a teenage female.